It is time for midday here on KRVN. Thank you so much for joining us. A roundtable discussion just about ready to get underway. Big day for Husker Athletics. We'll get more of that from Jason Jorgensen coming up in just a little bit. But let's begin our show talking to Susan. Let's see what's going on in the farm department. Susan? Well, thanks so much, Scott. Here's what's happening on a midday from the farm team. Kick everything off at 1219 as we'll hear from Clay Patton as the Junior Angus National Show is underway at the Nebraska State Fairgrounds. Then at 1245, Chabelle will talk about some projects that are taking place through the University of Wyoming. Then I'll wrap up everything at 117 as I talk with technical agronomist Kevin Keller. He's with DeKalb Asgrow as we look at crops, insects, and issues. That's a midday from the farm team. All right. Thank you so much, Susan. I appreciate that. Let's uh, turn it over to Jason. Of course, big day in Husker sports as Trev Alberts becomes the athletic director. You know, normally the day after the All-Star Game is the deadest day of the year in sports. That's not the case today. Uh, A lot going on. Is uh, Trev Alberts named the 14th. Director of Athletics at Nebraska. His press conference is continuing at this point. We'll have some of the high points for you coming up in sports. Uh, he's certainly qualified. Uh, he's been through the fires and the tribulations at, at UNO since he's been there since 2009. He's a Husker guy. You know, they talked about everything they were looking for. He checked all the boxes. I mean, he, he bleeds big red. Were you a little surprised, though? A little bit. I, I would have thought some of the baggage from what happened early on with him at UNO when it came down to how he dealt with the wrestling program and with the football program, that that might have followed him. But apparently that that's not a consideration. And you can say, hey, he's been through stuff like that. He's made some mistakes, and he'll move forward and, and be better for Nebraska. That That surprises me a little bit. But he's certainly more than qualified. And... Uh, We'll see. We'll see. You know? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I think they were looking for someone younger than Bill Moose. They, they wanted someone that was going to be in this position going forward to be the face of Husker Athletics and Trev Alberts is. And I'll never forget him being a one-armed, one-armed man in that Orange Bowl as Nebraska almost pulled that off that Chasing night. Chasing Charlie Ward around. Yeah, Chasing Charlie Ward around with one arm. Also, if that wasn't enough, former Nebraska football coach Frank Solich stepped down today due to uh, some health issues. Frank's okay, but just not enough there at 77 to move forward with the program. We'll get his thoughts on why he stayed at Ohio so long, and he certainly had a great run in his second act after it didn't work out at NU. Very good. Good for him. Good for him. Fearless Frankie there. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate it. All right, let's turn it over to Bob Rogan. Looks like stocks are up today. Well, they... They're a little bit higher, but uh, at the moment, the uh, the Dow, the NASDAQ, and the S&P are down just a little bit. But yes, big, big tech pushing stocks higher on Wall Street. Investors are reviewing the latest earnings reports and updates on rising inflation. So we'll just see how things uh, sort themselves out. Inflation at the wholesale level jumped 1% in June, pushing price gains over the past 12 months up by a record amount. And... Uh, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell says inflation will re- will likely remain elevated in coming months. Details on those stories coming up. All right. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. Let's turn it over to Clay. 
Clay Patton on the World Radio Network as we talk to Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. And Mike, a midday check of the trade shows grains really with some solid appreciation in prices across all of all classes and all contracts. But I'm also noticing it's moving the same time with metals. Gold and silver having a very good day. Is this in relation to some of that economic data we've seen over the last two days and our funds back to looking for an inflationary vehicle? Yeah, I think that's right, Clay. I think there's a lot of cross currents right now in this market. We've got a lot of things to deal with and juggle, and I think the inflation numbers, PPI, CPI numbers, all very important. We also have the the Fed chairman talking to Congress right now. The news coming out of his first meeting is that he's not going to jump on tapering, and I think that's really uh, given us a real push and, and, and kind of almost a reversal in the dollar from going moderately stronger on the start of the day to now getting to make new lows and down about four-tenths of a percent on the SEP futures. That, I think, is fueling some of these gains in the metals and probably spilling over into the ag sector as well. And when we're looking at the broader picture as well, we've seen this weather bull kind of get sidelined because there's been some rains that have been very timely, maybe coming at the right spot in parts of the U.S. Corn Belt. But now the fact, if you combine that with the inflation, the fact these next couple weeks may be looking like a little bit of a warmer, drier pattern for the northern plains, for the western Corn Belt. Does that kind of help to get the bull off the sidelines for a weather market? Yeah, I mean, I think since the USDA report tightened the supply up, especially in the wheat and old crop corn via the Brazilian crop, I think weather is still a top-end issue that the trade's got to contend with. And as long as we see the canola areas and the spring wheat areas and some of the winter wheat areas heading into the next planting be an issue, I think this continues to be a driver. I think one of the things that maybe helps explain why soybean oil is weaker or not as strong, I should say, as a real push higher in the meal market is we do have a weaker crude oil market along with this weaker dollar. OPEC sounds like they made a deal, and the production expectations may start to go up from both Russia and the UAE. And I think maybe the market's dialing that in, taking some profit by longs, spilling over in the oil complexes, even veg oil. And you know, you're talking about veg oil brand right up there, but now Canada's talking about maybe upwards of 50% crop loss on their canola crop. And I know canola oil, very popular in more a global setting. Does that have any reflationary re- trade or anything back towards uh, soybean oil or other veggie oils? I think it brings up the bottom and the, your floor price is elevated. I mean, this is a true tragedy and catastrophe what's going on in the Canadian prairies and our northern plains. And when we saw the spring wheat, very poor, poor conditions combined jump from 50 to 55%, you can see what kind of degradation we're seeing on a weekly basis. And I would look for maybe that again next week, at least two points more, maybe even another five. But it, it really, you're really starting to wonder whether you have a crop in that region at this point if you're in the trade. Mike, in the livestock trade, what has sparked once again in lean hogs to restart that pork and bean trade? Yeah, I think the funds mainly, but we also had that big drop by the uh, USDA in next year's hog production, and so we've got the back-end markets supported because they're cheaper than the front-end. Cutouts are also up today. That is Mike Zuzlo, Global Commodity Analytics. You can learn more at globalcomresearch.com. That's globalcomresearch.com. Once you're there, mention that you heard about Mike on the Rural Radio Network. He's going to set you up with a free trial, newsletter, analysis, video commentary, and much more. Mike has a full portfolio of products he can offer to help you manage risk on your farm or ranch. Check it out, globalcomresearch.com. Do remember, though, trading future options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. 
The demand for Nebraska real estate has rarely been as strong as it is right now. If you've been thinking about selling, please let Lashley Land and Recreational Brokers show you how we were able to sell $77 million worth of Nebraska real estate in 2020 alone. 98% of all buyers now begin their search online, and Lashley Land appears at the top of the Google search results for all types of land in Nebraska, providing your listing with the most exposure nationwide. Give us a call or check us out at LashleyLand.com. Thanks. It is time for us to check in on our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins in here now and... Uh, I tell you, a nice little rain kind of came through this morning. Yeah, some welcome rain amounts. Uh, many locations, about a quarter to a half an inch of rain, and even some higher amounts up to around one to two inches across much of northern Nebraska with this system. Uh, not all of the rainfall totals in because of uh, the rainfall remotes. Reports came in at seven o'clock, and it's still raining in many of those locations. So that's true. But it was it was nice to see, and uh, still a little bit kind of rolling through but there's some water vapor up there that's affecting some of this yeah still a cold front in the region and so we'll see still a more a chance of some showers and thunderstorms especially along this front as it continues to push to the south mainly it's starting to make its way into southern areas of nebraska we still have some showers and thunderstorms ahead of that some very warm temperatures across northern kansas as warm as 90 right now at norton ahead of this front some upper 80s and much of north central areas of kansas a lot of kansas in the low to mid 80s but then to into nebraska a lot of the temperatures in the mid to upper 70s but we do have some low 80s in omaha on over to hebron and beatrice just ahead of this cold front some of those showers and thunderstorms still over southern nebraska mainly to the south of i-80 now uh, from about mccook on over to cambridge holdridge and near the blue hill area to just south of exeter they're gradually moving to the east but also some light showers starting to make their presence known with this cold front moving through the Nebraska Sand Hills. Some showers right now moving through portions of Custer County just to the northeast of Broken Bow, through Broken Bow, on into the Callaway area. And that line is probably the area we'll see some more showers and thunderstorms develop. In behind this front, temperatures in the 60s, the mid and upper 60s across much of north central Nebraska on into the Nebraska Panhandle. For th- today through tonight, we will see those thunderstorm chances continue, especially across the central and east and near this cold front, low pressure and a cold front pushing to the southeast right now. Storms could be severe. Wind gust up to 60, a possibility and some quarter-sized hill. It's not a big severe outbreak expected. Most of south-central and southeast Nebraska, northern Kansas and northeast Colorado in a low-end marginal risk for severe weather. Now areas along and north of I-80 and eastern Nebraska in a slightly higher slight risk for severe storms. Additional rain amounts will mostly range from about a quarter to a half an inch of rain. Tomorrow through the day, Friday will be dry and cooler with the high pressure building in from the northwest. Going to be a great day tomorrow with temperatures about 10 degrees cooler than usual. Friday we'll start to see some warmer temperatures that will be slightly cooler than average. Some slight chances for thunderstorms do return over the weekend with several weak disturbances tracked to the east. A westerly flow will help to warm those temperatures back up to seasonal. Our weather forecast drying out for next week with a building range of high pressure. In the long term forecast Nebraska temperatures likely to be seasonal to slightly warmer than 
normal, while the Kansas temperatures will be seasonal to slightly cooler than average for Monday through July 27th. It will be mostly dry with below normal rainfall for Monday through July 27th for both Nebraska and Kansas. Here on the plains, thunderstorms with the cold front earlier today swept mostly across Nebraska and South Dakota. The rainfall, a benefit for summer crops entering their reproduction stage, especially in drought-affected areas. Mostly dry conditions persisting, though, in much of Montana and North Dakota. Across the southern half of the plains, the hot and dry weather currently is favoring the summer crop growth and also the late wheat harvest. In the Corn Belt, thunderstorms west of the Mississippi River, about benefit for the corn and soybeans. Topsoil moisture rates 75 to 82 percent, very short to short in Minnesota and the Dakotas. Weather in the eastern Corn Belt remains mostly favorable with abundant soil moisture and daytime high temperatures mostly ranging from 80 to 90. A slow moving cold front in the nation's midsection right now, expected to reach the Mid-South and Mid-Atlantic by the end of the week. Five-day rain totals could reach one to three inches across the east-central plains, mid-south, and midwest. The rain, though, expected to largely bypass the southern plains, along with dry areas of Montana and North Dakota on into northern and central Minnesota. So this cold front looking to be a good thing, already giving us a good shot of some rain this morning, in the uh, at least in the early morning hours, and starting to dwine down, but we will see more chances move in later today. Some of that rain, light rain even over the southern portions of South Dakota right now, Scott. Are we, uh, I noticed last night it was pretty hazy. Are we starting to see haze from the fires yet, or is that not really the case? Yet? I it's wouldn't doubt some of it. Um, you know, luckily it's not reaching the ground. Um, you know, right now it's just cloudiness. Okay. But I know there have been northern areas of Nebraska probably going to start seeing some of that smoke because it's coming up and over this big ridge of high pressure and this big ridge of high pressure is gradually pushing to the north from the Rockies so unfortunately that's also going to cut off our moisture supply for next week for any fronts to kind of move through but luckily the main heat will stay away from us too. All right, very good. Thank you Paul, I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather page, krbn.com Clay Patton on the World Radio Network with a market update. Again, inflationary bias may be starting to make its way back into the grain complex as we're seeing several possible uh, inflationary indicators moving higher today, that including gold and silver. We're both seeing them up with nearly 1% gains so far on the day. The U.S. dollar index, though, not quite the safe haven purchase it was earlier in the week. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell testifying before Congress today, and he's pointing to the inflation as more of a temporary situation, more than long-reaching, and still being very very uh, against any type of tapering or backing away from the U.S. stimulus. If that does more reflationary to the trade, though, the grain seem to be the vehicle that funds want to start pushing their money towards, and it's helping September corn higher, 567 and three quarters, up 16 and a half. March, December new crop, 558 and a half, up 18. March at 566 and a quarter, up 17 and a half. May of 22, 570, up 16 and three quarters. August soybeans now, 1452, up 37 and a quarter. September, 1391 and a half, up 31 and a half. November new crop, 1380 up 28 and a quarter. January 1382 and three quarters up 26 and three quarters. September Chicago wheat 654 and a quarter up 20 and a half. December 662 and a half up 19 and three quarters. September Kansas City 624 and a quarter up 12 and a half. December 635 and a half up 13. March 644 and a half up 13. August live cattle dollar 2150 down 25. October dollar 2685 down 32. December live cattle dollar 3195 down 35. And February dollar 3620 down 42. 
August feeder cattle dollar fifty six sixty two down two twenty. September dollar fifty eight ninety seven down two sixty five. October dollar sixty one oh seven down two fifty seven. For the lean hogs, we see August unchanged now dollar five ninety two. October though ninety fifteen up seventy seven in December eighty three twenty up sixty. Outside trade, the Dow Jones back uh, now down one. It was up two now down one thirty four thousand eight eighty seven. If you have had a loss of income due to COVID-19, the state of Nebraska may be able to help you make rent and utility payments. Visit coronavirus.nebraska.gov to apply for help and learn more about the Emergency Rental Assistance Program for Nebraska residents. This program is for renters, not homeowners, and requires proof of income and financial impact of COVID-19. Apply today at coronavirus.nebraska.gov or call 833-500-8810. That's 833-500-8810. We're in this together, and we will get through this together. The vaccines are tested effective and needed. Welcome to the clinic. Which arm? Get your COVID-19 vaccine so we can do this. And this. And this. We are now boarding flight. Together again, because we got through it together. This message sponsored by the Helmsley Charitable Trust, aired with the Nebraska Broadcasters Association and this station. Welcome into your Wednesday afternoon. It is time now to take a check at the latest in agriculture news today. Livestock and poultry producers who suffered losses during the pandemic due to insufficient access to processing can now apply for assistance for those losses and the cost of depopulation and disposal of the animals. The Department of Agriculture announced the Pandemic Livestock Indemnity Program in remarks at the National Pork Industry Conference. The announcement is part of USDA's Pandemic Assistance for Producers Initiative. Livestock and poultry producers can apply for assistance through USDA's Farm Service Agency July 20th through September 17th of 2021. Also this afternoon, the Junior Angus National Show kicked off with a cooking contest yesterday. Clay Patton has more from Angus officials on why the contest is important for the breed and youth development in agriculture. John Sticka is president of the Certified Angus Beef Program and was one of the ultimate hamburger judges for the Junior Angus Association Certified Angus Beef Cook-Off. Sticka relates why it's important that breed shows like Angus include opportunities for youth to display their knowledge and skills outside the show ring. And every one of us in agriculture can probably agree that we're 2% trying to feed the 98%. And whenever you can have young people come together and advocate for agriculture and learn more about how to do that effectively, that's a good day in agriculture for all of us. And that's really what the National Junior Angus Association Beef Cook-Off is all about. And Certified Angus Beef is obviously excited to be a part of it. The cook-off challenge had youth create a skit around a CAB meal they prepared. The top CAB burger came from the intermediate team from Ohio with their Buckeye tailgate burger. All right, thanks, Clay. And stick around because in just a couple minutes, Clay will have more from that event yesterday. Tips to experienced and newer agriculture teachers could benefit six classrooms this fall due to an ag mechanics boot camp in Curtis. Teachers from Nebraska and Kansas schools brushed up on skills, curriculum ideas, and some peer-sharing sessions in a three-day camp at the Nebraska College of Technical Agriculture. Boot camp skills shared include hydraulics, small engines, and electricity. In national news this afternoon, U.S. Secretary of Ag Tom Vilsack stopped in Mills County, Iowa on Friday, and that was to visit the site where a $325 million beef processing facility is set to be constructed. Cattlemen's Heritage is a newly formed corporation, and it recently announced plans to construct a 1,500-head-per-day plant north of Glenwood, Iowa. 
Company officials say the facility will employ up to 750 workers and have an estimated annual impact of $1.1 billion. Vilsack says the new beef processing facility is needed to keep up with demand and to help create competition for the big four meatpacking plants. Men and women in the cattle industry work hard every single day to produce a quality product. But the reality is that when they go to a handful of processing facilities, they end up being shortchanged. Uh, they end up losing money on the cattle that they provide to the processing facility while the processing facility itself is making money. And the result of that is that we have fewer and fewer of these independent cattle men and women uh, in the business. And as I in- have indicated, that the goal of this USDA under President Biden's leadership is more new and better markets. And Vilsack lauded the economic impact of the beef plant by saying it will create a large number of new jobs for the local market. Communities like those in Mills County and in southwest Iowa are desperately in need of good paying jobs. The beauty of this site is that it basically is well positioned. It's well positioned from a workforce development possibility. It's well positioned from a zoning possibility. And obviously there is a great demand. Broadcasting this afternoon from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clay Patton on the World Radio Network. The Junior Angus Nationals in Grand Island, Nebraska. High-quality youth, high-quality cattle. Have the opportunity now to talk with CEO of the American Angus Association. That's Mark McCulley. And, Mark, you are also one of the judges at the Junior Angus Nationals uh, Certified Angus Beef Cook-Off. Tell us about the room you were in and your favorite dish. Wow, it was uh, Come Hungry was the theme of our competition because these kids just knocked it out of the park. They do skits where they come and present the certified Angus beef specifications and talk about how they would present those to a consumer, and then they then they prepare some wonderful dishes. Our kids, I was in the top sirloin room or the steak room, and, uh, man, we had several really, really good ones, but we had uh, some uh, uh, some kebabs that were just fantastic that, uh, uh, amongst them, uh, several others, some tacos, uh, some fondue. Yeah, the kids were super creative. Why is it important for Angus to have these type of competitions for the youth? Are you seeing retainment in the breed and more... Uh, maybe uh, activity among the members or stuff due to these type of activities? I think it's really our, our role to make sure that our future leaders are, are developed and are excited about agriculture. They're equipped to come back into agriculture and whether that it means they get back into the Angus business, we sure hope so. But, uh, you know, we know there's a lot of these kids that are going to go on and, and maybe explore careers in other parts of production ag or, or maybe not at all, maybe maybe outside of production ag. But now we've got some wonderfully trained young folks that are going to go be leaders in their community, whatever career path they may choose. So it's really just been a, a, a foundational part of what we do as an organization is invest in that next generation. We've got a very, very generous foundation that's been put together over the years by generous Angus breeders to support through scholarships and so doing lots and lots of really great things for these young folks that are super talented and super impressive. On the breed side, John, Angus has always been one of the leaders forward. They've created a very successful multi-generation now branding project when it comes to the end point of certified Angus beef, but as well they're trying to make useful tools, useful data back to the cattlemen. In 2021 and beyond, where is that next evolution? What is Angus next looking at? Yeah, you're right. I mean, the technology that's entering into our selection tools is now its speed of change is like like all technology, right? And so uh, our breeders have embraced genomics or looking at DNA at a really, really high rate. And so it's incorporating that, that genomic results into our selection tools. 
we've done a, I think a pretty good job of selecting for uh, for for growth traits and for carcass merit and those types of things. Really, our, uh, the the next frontier is is really trying to refine our selection tools around maternal function. Uh, those are harder traits to measure, the more lowly heritable traits, so we can't make as much progress there. But we're really building some very powerful tools uh, on maternal on the maternal side of things uh, to put in the hands of ranchers and breeders to uh, to make improvements where they need to. When we have all the data presented to us, it can sometimes be overwhelming. But Angus was one of the pioneers with their dollar beef when it came to some of their EPDs and trying to break it down, putting it into a performance where you could look at one number and have a general idea on those carcass traits. Could we see something like that in the future on the maternal side? We actually just rolled out a dollar maternal uh, wean calf value, a maternal index that uh, really incorporates uh, the different factors from heifer pregnancy uh, to, uh, again, milk. The next horizon for us is to looking at predicting longevity or how long a female is going to stay in the herd and how that impacts her economics and her maternal value will ultimately be rolled into uh, into those indexes. And so those indexes have become really powerful. Uh, they've become a real practical way for cattlemen to uh, to be able to make progress by kind of understanding how to weight all those different traits from cattle having ease to growth, to carcass merit, to maternal function. That is Mark McCullough. He is CEO of the American Angus Association. He's here representing the breed as well, promoting the youth, the next generation of the Angus Association, the Angus breed. From the Junior National Angus Show in Grand Island, I'm Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. It is time for us to check in on sports, a surprisingly busy sports day considering... uh, Baseball's not going. NBA's not doing much. And they're being a little busy for you. No complaints, though. No. no Take this the middle of July. No kidding. Former Husker Grant and current Omaha Athletic Director Trev Alberts was introduced today as NU's new Athletic Director. Alberts had been the AD in Omaha since 2009, and he talks about some of the things he wants to bring to the table. But we will work as hard as we can. We'll be transparent. We'll acknowledge them, and we'll fix them. Third is we're going to establish teamwork, and this is really important to me, one of the most importantly things. We're going to have clearly defined roles, and we will always do what's in the best interest of Nebraska. We just simply cannot afford to allow anybody to put their own personal agenda ahead of what's in the best interest for Nebraska. Alberts, who was NU's first Butkus Award winner in 1993 and Big 8 defensive MVP, was also asked about his relationship with current head coach Scott Frost. Certainly we, we haven't achieved at the level that, that we all hope to attain, right? But I believe strongly in Scott Frost's leadership and the coaches that we have in the staff. I, I am really looking forward to diving in with Scott. The first thing i got to do, and not just Scott, you know, Will and Fred and uh, Amy and every one of our coaches. That's why I talked about earning trust. Listen, you got to earn the trust. Alberts was a fifth pick of the 1994 NFL draft by the Colts. Played just a couple of years for Indianapolis. He had all kinds of injury problems in the pros. He also served as an analyst on college and professional games for ESPN and CNN before he got into administration. And there you go. He's now the AD at Nebraska. I have a cool story about him. Uh, back when UNO still had a football program, and they would come out and play UNK, and this was long before we had the Loper contract, I actually got to sit next to Trev the entire game. It was just he and I kind of over on the side, and we kind of just watched the game together and talked back really? and forth. That probably was eight, nine, ten years ago, and he, I came away pretty impressed that really? day. 
I'll be darned. That's uh, cool. He certainly was qualified for this position. Yes. I just didn't know of some of the problems that they had when he first started there at Omaha, if that would follow him or not. But apparently he's done enough since then, and he was the only guy they interviewed. Oh, is that right? They officially interviewed. Well, there certainly was a lot of talk of Ed Stewart early on, and then they said, well, maybe Classy will stay there. So a little bit surprised, but seems like the right guy. So did Steve Peterson. My lawyer friend, who I trust very, very much, he he doesn't think that Alberts probably was the only guy who was Mm -hmm. interviewed. There were some others, but that was taken care of by the search firm, and they they do all of that. So that's how it all works. Former Husker head football coach Frank Solich also made some news today. He's stepping down after 16 years as a head coach at Ohio. He says in the end his health just wouldn't let him continue. This jumped up on me pretty quickly. Just had that one episode. So I was feeling good. Thought that I could uh, you know, hey, you can still coach. Kidded myself for a period of time but then it finally came uh, to a realization for me that, um, hey, you're asking everything of these kids, their time and their energy and if you can't commit to to that yourself then it's uh then it's then it's time to uh to to move on he is the winningest head coach in the history of the mac with 115 wins under solich ohio went to 11 bowl games after going to just two before he arrived all five of the bobcats bowl victories came during his tenure and I always say his body of work in Lincoln looks better oh. and better after each year. Now, granted, he made some mistakes after he took over for Tom Osborne, but you, you're talking about a guy who found his niche and had a great second act, yeah. and he did there in Athens. You know, he, you never want to be the guy who follows no. the guy, and <laughs> and he had he had big footsteps to follow, but but I think he's going to go down in Husker lore as one of the one of the real top guys. For sure. I, I think so. And and hopefully now with him no longer coaching at Ohio, what they need to do, they need to bring him back again, have him out at the 50-yard line of the home game, oh. and give him some recognition. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Because Good we've stuff. seen since, you know, we didn't want to gravi- gravitate to mediocrity, <laughs> it's not that easy. Mm. A lot of what-ifs. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot, lot of what-ifs. Of what ifs. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Th- that's a look at sports. For more on the whole Trev Alberts thing, you can check that out at krvn.com. All right, thanks, Jason. Ahead. The chair of the Nebraska Legislature's Appropriations Committee says the balance in the state's checkbook at the end of the current fiscal year might be surprising to many. Senator John Sinner of Gearing Tuesday told the Scotts Bluff Rotary Club incoming revenue has done wonders and will end this spending year a record 15.3% higher than the last fiscal year. But the key to this, and I'm trying to impose this in the minds of fellow legislators, legislators, 5% is our normal growth pattern, so I'll say it. The rest of that 10.3% is really due to stimulus. So... One-time money for spending or putting in reserve. Sinner says that means the cash reserve fund will have $997 million when the new fiscal year begins. But fellow lawmakers need to understand the legislature has already made some spending commitments that will draw on that figure next session. He also says there are potential pitfalls down the road, including inflation and an aging population, especially those in the Medicaid system. 
A state lawmaker from Omaha has announced he will run in the Democratic primary for the Nebraska's 2nd Congressional District. Senator Tony Vargas said in an announcement yesterday that he will seek the party's nomination to challenge incumbent U.S. Representative Don Bacon, a three-term Republican in the district that includes Omaha and parts of its suburbs. Vargas said Tuesday his focus will be on meeting the needs of working families, including access to affordable quality health care, living wages, and better education. Vargas is a former public school teacher and one-time member of the Omaha Public School Board who was re-elected to a second term in the legislature in 2020. Bacon has already said he will seek re-election to a fourth term in 2022. Former state lawmaker Ernie Chambers is known for seeking the censure of Nebraska judges he believes have acted outside the bounds of fairness. Now Chambers is targeting a judge in the state's northeastern corner who saw the Supreme Court overturn his denial of an adoption petition to a same-sex couple. In a complaint filed last week with the Nebraska Judicial Qualifications Commission, Chambers accuses Dixon County Judge Douglas Luby of violated state law requiring judges perform their duties fairly and impartially and without bias or prejudice. Luby described himself as old-fashioned in denying an adoption petition for a same-sex marriage couple last year. The state Supreme Court overturned that denial in March. Governor Pete Ricketts gave an updated update during his statewide radio call-in show Tuesday on his decision Friday to extend the deployment of 15 state patrol troopers along the U.S.-Mexico border in response to a request from Texas Governor Greg Abbott. And just as a reminder, last week I extended 15 of our state troopers down there for another two weeks so that we'll have a total, uh, well, it'll be 15 folks, but a total deployment down there overall of about a month of our folks assisting the Department, the Texas Department of Public Safety with law enforcement operations. Other states also have sent state troopers or National Guard troops to Del Rio, Texas, including those in neighboring Iowa and South Dakota. Rickett says in May, U.S. Customs and Border Protection reported 180,000 people tried to cross the border compared to 23,000 a year ago. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm... Yes. The University of Wyoming is studying the possible benefits of Kernza an intermediate wheatgrass as a sustainable crop for Wyoming wheat growers. A Salina, Kansas-based land institute developed the new variety, and it has been grown in Minnesota, California, and Nebraska, and this will be the first time in Wyoming. A $75,000 Western Sustainable Agricultural Research and Education grant, which has several parts in it, is funding the project. Hannah Rogers, a University of Wyoming Ph.D. student in soil science, explains how the research is a collaboration between farmers and researchers. I think most of them had already heard of Kernza. One of the farmers we're working with at that point had already been approached by a Kernza buyer. Another guy had read about Kernza and said he was really interested in doing it, didn't know where to get started. We were just able to sort of put this project together to help, first of all, cover some of their planting costs. And then also because it's such a new crop, um, help them actually figure out where to get seed, where to find information about planting rate and things like that, where to find markets for it. We are helping coordinate a little bit of that. Kernza is a perennial and can be used as a forage crop or if left longer can be harvested for grain. The hope is a perennial crop will develop and support microbial life and sequester more carbon. Roger says the farmers they are working with are seeing establishment of Kernza, which is good in a drought year. One thing we're really thinking about with drought is that perennials, in a lot of senses, are less risky in droughty areas because, like, if you plant your wheat and then you get a drought and you don't get a harvest from that wheat, 
that's a ton of costs down the drain. You have your planting costs, all of your tractor passes. It's really a big loss. But a perennial like Kernza that might grow for three to five years, if you don't get a yield one year, at least at least you didn't waste all the cost of your seed. At least you're not going to have to replant or anything like that. So we're really hopeful about that because we know that risk is a really big thing for farmers in this environment. Kernza looks like it would be a good crop for drier climates, but will the plant be an efficient user of water? Alex Fox, a University of Wyoming PhD student in the hydrologic program, is looking at Kernza's water efficiency. One of the things that Kernza does is it's able to, it has really, really deep roots. So it's able to get access to water that annual wheat simply can't. Um, There's a study done uh, a few years ago that showed that Kearns was able to use something like 50% more of this available soil water compared to annual crops, which is a huge deal. Another really important factor is that it also just, the way it structures its roots and stabilizes the soil, it really tightens up um, nutrient cycling and it stabilizes water in the soil so it doesn't evaporate as easily and it infiltrates into the soil more easily. Kernza's kernel is smaller than a wheat kernel, but it can still be economically beneficial for growers. The wheatgrass can also be used for a variety of uses like wheat. And especially here in Wyoming, where we might not get a yield every year, we're really hoping it can be a good dual-use crop. Because a lot of our farmers do have cattle and are interested in grazing the Kernza either after harvest, um, if it grows back a little, or in years where there isn't a great harvest. And big... um, There are some big sort of sustainability companies that have hopped on board with Kernza and are some of the bigger people using Kernza for things like Patagonia Provisions makes a beer called Long Root Ale. And then Cascadian Farms also makes a cereal. So Kernza should be good for the soil and has many uses. But Fox says one part of his research will also look at how Kernza uses water. One of the research questions that I'm trying to answer is, does Kernza mine the soil for water? In a sense, like, there are water stores in the soil that maybe aren't accessed by wheat. So it may actually be not a good thing if the Kernza suddenly finds all of that and uses it all up, and then the next year that isn't necessarily replenished. So growing it, starting it out in the drought year, maybe there's less water in the soil to begin with. So maybe that question won't be as important just because it won't be able to grow itself as much into limitation as it would otherwise. The project is in its first year with four farms in southeast Wyoming, along with plots at the James C. Hageman Sustainable Agricultural Research and Extension Center in Lingle, Wyoming. Roger says they are hopeful. And especially here in Wyoming, where we might not get a yield every year, we're really hoping it can be a good dual-use crop. Because a lot of our farmers do have cattle and are interested in grazing the Kernza either after harvest, um, if it grows back a little, or in years where there isn't a great harvest. And big, um, there are some big sort of sustainability companies that have hopped on board with Kernza and are some of the bigger people using Kernza for things like Patagonia Provisions makes a beer called Long Root Ale. And then Cascadian Farms also makes a cereal. Graduate students Roger and Fox are working with University of Wyoming Extension Soil Specialist Jay Norton on soil health with Conservation Reserve Program fields. Brett Ewers in the Department of Botany 
is taking plant measurements like photosynthesis and water use throughout the growing season to see Kearns' water consumption compared to wheat. An extension research scientist, Tom Folk, will examine the crop's economic benefit for producers. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. With the business report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks gave up an early gain and turned mixed at midday on Wall Street as banks and energy companies fell while other sectors rose. The S&P 500 was down one-tenth of a percent at midday. Small company stocks continued to lag the rest of the market. Banks were mostly weaker after several of them reported their latest quarterly results. American Airlines rose after giving investors a strong outlook. Some tech companies, including Apple, were higher. Energy companies had some of the biggest losses, partly due to a drop in the price of benchmark U.S. crude oil. Inflation at the wholesale level jumped 1% in June, pushing price gains over the past 12 months up by a record 7.3%. The June increase in the Labor Department's producer price index follows a gain of eight-tenths of a percent in May, and is the largest one-month increase since January. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell suggested today that inflation, which has been surging as the recovery strengthens, will likely remain elevated in coming months before moderating. At the same time, Powell signaled no imminent change in the Fed's ultra-low interest rate policies. In testimony before the House Financial Services Committee, Powell reiterated his long-held view that high inflation readings over the past several months have been driven largely by temporary factors, notably supply shortages and rising consumer demand as pandemic-related business restrictions are lifted. President Joe Biden is stepping up his bid to push his multi-trillion dollar domestic agenda through Congress. He was planning to have a lunch today with Senate Democrats, The gathering comes a day after party leaders announced a compromise for pouring federal resources into climate change, health care, and family service programs. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. Before investing. Is yellowing corn an issue? Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Most recently, I've seen some university articles, not only in Nebraska, but throughout the region, talking about some yellowing corn in the fields. So I asked that of Kevin Keller. He's a DeKalb Asgro technical agronomist. So I guess I'd be speculating a little bit on it recently. You know, some years we do see um, a couple things going on. You know, one in some of your high pH areas, we do see some flash from maybe the pH coming through. Um, and then in some other areas, to your point, I mean, we could be seeing some sulfur deficiencies and so forth. And sometimes it's even both. You know, sometimes we do see field situations where we have some higher pH and we also have some nutrient deficiencies such as sulfur coming in. But a lot of this is probably the hot weather. Um, and then just driving some of those things that we're seeing, uh, it could be a combination of things, I guess, Susan. I, I'm probably looking into it myself still a little bit on some of those fields, but uh, a lot of it seems to be in some of these higher pH fields we're seeing that again. And as we talked about pests, he brought up corn rootworm. He says it's a pest that always seems to rear its ugly head about now. 
Susan is another pest that uh, this time of the year seems to get a lot of attention um, because this is typically the time of the year with the storms coming through. We see a wind event and all of a sudden you have lodged corn and then you go out and investigate and find out that you had corn rootworm feeding on your, your corner of the last few weeks. So right now the beetles are emerging. They're starting to pupate and emerge. Um, and along with that, we may see some silk clipping as well. Um, so keep an eye out for that. Um, also take note, if you're seeing really more than one beetle per plant, um, actually even less than one beetle per plant, you could have economic threshold injury going into next season. So it only takes uh, about half a beetle per plant um, to reach economic threshold for the following year. So with that in mind, you want to uh, plant a traded corn hybrid um, and one of the new traits that we have on the market is smart stacks pro and that is a, a new trait from bear that has a novel rnai trait so it's not another um bt trait for corn rootworm but it's actually a brand new um, novel mode of action that's highly effective so seeing some great results so far susan we have some on-field trials this year um, seeing some great efficacy with that new uh new trait on the market you brought up just a really interesting point too, Kevin. That's thinking of next year. I mean, obviously they've got the issues this year, but these bugs and these pests and the and the weeds are going to stick around. Yes, that's that's for sure. I always um, am a big proponent of that. You know, make notes of what you're seeing. Um, sometimes you can do things that fix the situation this year, and sometimes it's more for planning for next year. And you know, what weeds are you seeing? What worked great for you this year? What maybe didn't work so well? Um, you know, it's a great opportunity to drop some notes in either just the old uh, pen and paper or, you know, make some scouting notes with tools like Climate Field View where you can go in and drop some pens. And it's a good reminder, especially when you come back during harvesting, see that on the map and think, oh, yeah, hey, this is an area where I did this and I really like the results or maybe I didn't like the results. I'm going to change something for next year. So great point. It's never too early to start scouting and thinking about 2022. So when we think about soybeans as well, we talked about corn um, getting in the tassel time frame here. Soybeans were approaching R3 in a lot of areas. Um, the herbicide application is done. Most labels go up to R2. Um, but when we like to think about R3 to R4, it's uh, aligned with tasseling and corn where we can still influence yield. Those comments coming from DeKalb Asgro technical agronomist Kevin Keller. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Difference. Playpen on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check in on that closing grain trade now with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the Daily Newsletter This Week in Grain. John, we've been talking about the when they're negative days, there are still a lot of bullish fundamentals, a bullish undertone to this overall market. Today, do we get to see the fruits of our labor as the market moves back into the green? Yeah, everything's closed at scap except for corn. So the eyes will be on that December corn. See if they can climb the ladder there into the low 370s. Uh, you know, I, it, the gap theory, it, sometimes it's right, sometimes it's wrong. In this case, it, it's worked pretty well. Um, I think the market to watch really is Minneapolis wheat. Both the September and the December contracts have broken out above the 850 level. 850 wheat was last seen in the spring of 2020. I'm sorry, 2018. So we, uh, we had a run up there, and that will live. We lived at 850 for maybe a week before falling apart into, uh, into what was a bearish price for corn as well. I don't know if we're going to see that that repeated this year. The dynamics are much much different, uh, starting with the weather. You know, the weather in, in the Canadian Prairie, and the North Dakota area, uh, is is abysmal. Would be a good way to describe. 
describe it. Um, no rain in the forecast, heat coming on here. So I think you're going to have condition, con- bullish condition reports for wheat. That should help support corn prices, especially in the, the you know, southwestern part of the world where, uh, where they're feeding a lot of it to, to cattle. So uh, interesting dynamic there. Bigger picture as well. You look further to the northern plains, the Canadian prairie. Right now, Canada is calling its canola crop in dire straits, similar to what the U.S. spring wheat crop is. Does that have an influence on veggie oil prices? Oh, yeah. It'll have, it'll have a, a, a ramifications on restaurant what food prices are going to go for as well. You know, companies like McDonald's use a tremendous amount of, of edible or vegetable oil. So canola sets the stage for it. Europe, you know, they're going to have it. Watch Russia and their sun food. depends on, you know, continued production because we're planning on using it if, uh, if you know, what we're, we're going to see happen here with infrastructure and uh, the switch to biofuels. That is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing.